Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports, he is Bob Kemp. I am Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll get to your phone calls today, 1030 and 1115. The number, 602-260-1060. We also have a four-pack of tickets today to go see the Arizona Diamondbacks on July 4th, taking on the New York Mets from Chase Field. The first 15,000 fans get a patriotic tee. dbacks.com slash tickets to secure your seats for the 4th of July extravaganza. But we'll have a four-pack of tickets for you at some strategical point in today's program. Let's get things started on this Monday, June 26th, with the poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Was there reason for concern after the Diamondbacks lost two straight at San Francisco before Sunday series finale victory? No leading the way at 57% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 43%. And I'll save kind of some of that bit of uh, topic here for just a second as we dive further into the Diamondbacks and the weekend series that was on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060, were the first place Reds exposed while losing two of three at home to the first place Braves. No leading the way here very significantly. 88.9% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 11.1%. Okay. Uh, they're now one in five against the Braves this season in their two series, and uh, they're done playing the Braves. Uh, so I'm not pod. They may not be done. I think they're done paying the Braves. Anyway, they played them two series this year. They've won one game. Now, every game, all six of them have been decided by one run. And one might wonder, and if you've watched the games, I watched the three games over the weekend, and at least one of the games they played in Atlanta earlier. But the fact that there is a huge difference in uh, you know, attention to detail, let's put it that way, uh, between these two teams uh, is, uh, you know, interesting. Let's put it that way. And they both depend on a lot of young players. And uh, the Atlanta young players have uh, a much better idea of how to play baseball than the Reds' young athletes. We will answer that question in totality around 1130 today. Still time for you to cast your vote. As promised, let's dive into the Diamondbacks and the Giants. And we'll start with the Friday night contest in which the Giants topped the D-backs 8-5. to five. Logan Webb got the win. Seven innings pitched, five hits, four runs, two walks, five strikeouts, and one home run. Meanwhile, for the Diamondbacks, Zach Davies, he, had, he went four innings, six hits, six runs, four walks, two strikeouts. Uh, Brandon Crawford, though, he was able to end the game for the Giants with a diving play at short. He just continues to impress, uh, even though he's 36 years old. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I know he's done some good things here. He's not playing every day right now. At least he's, you know, they've, they've got 
couple of youngsters up there taking some of his playing time away. Uh, I think uh, he's nowhere near what he was even two years ago when I actually thought he should have been the National League most valuable player when they won 107 games that particular year and actually won the division against the Dodgers. Uh, Crawford still can play defense, but his offense has been uh, suspect at best so far this year. And I kind of wonder if he's at the end of the road. Uh, but for the Diamondbacks there, they went into the series uh, losing Friday's contest. So Saturday, you've talked about this consistently here, that the Diamondbacks really feel like they need to win the Zach Allen and the Merrill Kelly starts. And Merrill Kelly has been really, really good of late. Uh, but he struggled on Saturday, giving up uh, just going five innings, giving up 10 hits, seven runs, two walks, two strikeouts, one home run. And it was, though, this is how impressive he has been. It was just his first loss in eight road starts this season yeah you could tell right off the bat he had no command uh you know a couple games earlier in the season he had problems with some walks and not just walking guys but you know he you know he just didn't throw the ball anywhere near where he wanted to throw it you just watch the catcher uh you know you do this for every game if you have the center field camera you know, kind of a good barometer of whether a you know pitcher is on or not quote unquote is whether he's actually hitting the target or throwing work. You know, they expect the ball to be – catchers expecting the ball to be thrown. And you could tell immediately that Kelly didn't have his best start. And this came after Friday night. You mentioned Davies. I don't know what they're going to do about him. Um, you know, they've obviously got some rotation holes. And he's been really bad most of the time since he's come back from the injury. And he gave them no chance to win on Friday night. They probably weren't going to win anyway because Logan Webb's really good, and he was, you know, not completely on his game, but it was, you know, he certainly, you know, dominated the Diamondbacks in that game. But uh, you know, I don't, I, you know, if they had alternatives, which I don't really don't think they seem to have in the organization, whether it be in the major league level or in the minor league level, we've already seen the Brandon Fott experience, and that was a disaster uh, when they brought him up and. I can't imagine that he's like turned it around in less than a month and okay, let's he's the guy. Uh, but if they had alternatives, I think that Davies would be designated for assignment and not on this team anymore. Uh Corbin Carroll, he ended up playing center field with Alec Thomas getting an off day. Do you like Corbin Carroll in center? Not on Saturday. It really hurt, you know, tremendous he just dropped a routine fly ball and that didn't help Merrill Kelly. He, uh, you know, the outfield defense, which has been really good this season, obviously. Actually, their defense period, which has been really good this season. Had not the best of weeks last week. Obviously, uh, Marte was unbelievable offensively. Uh, you know, you know, he has 19 consecutive games now where he's reached base, which is the most in the major leagues of any player. Uh, but you know, he had a bad game and uh, Tuesday night when they lost to Milwaukee. Carroll dropped a routine fly ball in the first inning on Saturday. That put the, uh, put uh, Kelly in a further hole. Uh, McCarthy took one of the worst angles in baseball history uh, to a line drive on Saturday when Kelly was pitching that gave up another run and uh, put the Giants in a, in a situation for a big inning. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, – uh, but, you know, Carroll's been – I think he's a much better left fielder uh, then he has center field. Alec Thomas has now been up, and he had 10 hits this past week. 
if he can just occasionally hit, he's a tremendous center fielder. And if he's on their team, he should be playing center field every day. Then we move into uh, the Sunday game to avoid getting swept, which the Diamondbacks have not been swept so far this season. They topped the Giants 5-2. to two. Ryan Nelson was very good. Seven innings, three hits, one run, two walks, six strikeouts. Scott McGuff, he picked up uh, his one and a third innings pitch save. And you also alluded to it as well, Cattell Marte, two of four, including a home run and a walk. Is Cattell Marte back offensively? Yeah, he's as back as a player. Um, he, I didn't think he was very good at anything last year. He was not good at all on defense. And he's been really good defensively this season in addition. So uh, I never bought into the Cattell Marte thing, really. I think he had the one year with the juice ball when everybody was good. But other than that, you know, I didn't think his first contract extension was merited. I wasn't in favor of necessarily the second contract. Wasn't in favor at all of the second contract extension. But he has been really good so far this season. And I think the Diamondbacks have had you know, three really all-star level players. Walker at first base, who's now hitting 10 consecutive games, which is career high for him. Uh, then Marte and obviously Corbin Carroll. I think all three of those guys are worthy of uh, being in the All-Star game. As far as position players, uh, yeah, Kelly and, and uh, Gallon, obviously, they each have nine wins. Uh, nobody in baseball has any – no team in baseball has two guys with nine wins. Uh, both those guys should be in the All-Star team based on their pitching. McGuff was uh, – he's now four straight games that he's got to save. Um, yesterday got a little fortunate. Uh, in that eighth inning, uh, you know, Longoria made a tremendous play, smothering the ball down the third baseline. And for whatever reason, uh, the Giants' rookie baseball owner, uh, Blake Sable, had no idea where the ball was. And they you know, tagged him out at second base. He just kept running. And uh, that ended the inning. And then uh, McGuff uh, got through, the, uh, got through the, uh, the ninth inning. He's clearly... At this point, and this seems to have changed three or four different times this season, but right now McGuff is the preferred option for Tori Lovello to end the game with a lead. So because the Diamondbacks and the Giants were facing one another, let's take a look at where things stand in the NL West after the weekend. The Diamondbacks remain atop the standings, 47 and 32. The Giants, 44 and 34, two and a half games back. And the Dodgers at 43 and 34, three games back. And the Dodgers picking up some ground as they won two of three over the Astros. Friday night, it was Emmett Sheehan picking up the win for the Dodgers, three to two. Six innings pitched, three hits, two runs two walks four strikeouts and two home runs for him Saturday it was a Dodgers win uh, eight to seven Bobby Miller though four innings ten hits six runs three walks three strikeouts and a home run and the rally for the Dodgers came late in the eighth inning and Sunday the Astros won six to five in 11 innings Freddie Freeman did join the 2000 hit club though and is now the sixth active player to reach the milestone yeah, the Astros tried to blow the game yesterday, too. They had a 4 nothing lead, and it was tied, and they had to go to extra innings. So, uh, you know, I'm just I'm watching that series, all three games for the most part. I watched, uh, you know, pretty much all of it. And uh, all the, pretty much all I could think about is it, this, these teams are not anywhere near what they've been, either of them. And it wasn't a very well-played series, quite frankly. 
uh, by anybody. Uh, yeah, team-wise, a few individuals were pretty impressive, but not team-wise. And right now, uh, the Dodgers and the Astros, as currently constructed, and both these teams are going to get some injured players back. Remember Alvarez, who's a huge part uh, of the lineup, the biggest part of the lineup for the Astros, obviously. He hasn't played for several couple weeks now, at least. And, uh, you know, the, the Dodgers starting pitching is you know, still doesn't have Urias back. And you know, Tony Gonsolin got clobbered for a second straight start last night. And they were fortunate enough to come back and tie the game after he left the game with a 4-0 deficit. So, you know, right now, uh, bottom line for me is that right uh, it's currently constructed, the Astros and the Dodgers are nowhere near even neither of them being a threat in the postseason, but they're going to get some reinforcements. Who knows what they're going to do at the trade deadline? That could be – that's a, who knows what any team's going to be able to do at the trade deadline right now. There are so many – so many teams remember the expanded playoffs, etc., uh, with three wild cards from each league. That uh, you know, it's I have no idea. We're like a month away, and I I don't think anybody has any idea who's really going to be buyers or sellers, except for teams that are you know obviously in the in the buying category that are elite. But there's not that many elite teams, especially in the National League. Yeah, we'll certainly get into a little bit more about the rest of Major League Baseball in the other side of the break as we'll dive into some of the weekend series and kind of where things shake out. As for the Diamondbacks, Giants, and Dodgers, they're all off today. The Giants will be on the road facing the Blue Jays, the Dodgers on the road facing the Rockies, and the D-backs home hosting the Rays. So certainly that could uh, be a tough test for the Diamondbacks hoping, hosting Tampa Bay. Right. We'll have more on that. In fact, uh, we'll have a preview of that series, actually, after it begins on Wednesday in the 9-15 segment of the Sports Zone. Uh, but I think the Dodgers this week play at Colorado and against Kansas City. <laughs> so you would expect them to win a whole bunch of games this week, no matter what kind of shape the Dodgers are in. We will get into more of Major League Baseball on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Be sure to be downloading the KDOS app as right now you register, follow along, and you could have yourself an opportunity at a $100 gift certificate courteous of Superbook Sports. More Extra Point is next. Carving out time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show right here on KDUS AM 1060, 100.7 HD2, and KDUS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Ten twenty-two, right here on KDOS AM 1060 as always online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Monday. It's June 26th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. The Arizona Diamondbacks will be with you for the July 4th holiday. And what better way than to spend the 4th of July than at Chase Field to enjoy some baseball in the air conditioning. The Diamondbacks will be taking on 
on the Mets, and the first 15,000 fans to the game will receive a patriotic tee. Visit dbacks.com slash tickets to secure your seats. Now, we'll have a four-pack of Diamondbacks tickets later on in today's program. Uh, let's continue the Major League Baseball conversation, though, with the Yankees taking two of three over the Rangers uh, over the weekend. First, you had the news that Aaron Judge still feels pain in his right big toe when he walks and has not been able to progress in baseball activities. No timetable for his return. I guess the other stunning development is that he called it a torn ligament. Uh, the team just saying, continuing to say that just because the change in uh, title of what it is doesn't mean it's changing his timetable for return. Secondly, you had Josh Donaldson not getting playing time and meeting with manager Aaron Boone about it. Well, he should retire. He's done. Um, Donaldson. The judge thing, I mean, I think there is some, you know, a chronology of events here is reported that he has a torn ligament. He, I don't know if he exactly confirmed it, but I think the biggest thing is that there was, you know, part of the report uh, from, I forgot, I apologize, I forgot from whom, but part of the original report was that Judge P could be out for the rest of the season. Aaron Boone did not confirm or really deny that. He said he's out for a while or, you know, some, you know, something along those lines. But he did not, he would not guarantee the judge would play again this season. And if that's happening, you know, they're terrible without him. You know, we read some of the offensive numbers last week and they didn't get any better. Uh, so it's kind of a, it's surprising that they won yesterday, quite frankly, after, you know, Cole had one of his worst starts, but, you know, We've talked about the Rangers. I actually think the Rangers have the second-best lineup. I know that they don't rank statistically number one in all the categories, but they do in some of the categories. But after the Braves in baseball, I think the Rangers, if I were a pitcher, the Rangers lineup is the one that I would least like to face in baseball behind, behind Atlanta, which I would want no part of if I were a pitcher. Yeah, you mentioned Garrett Cole. He was hit hard yesterday, four and two-thirds inning pitch, nine hits, three runs, one walk, seven strikeouts, one home run. But the Rangers' bullpen gave up the loss to the Yankees there on Sunday. Is there cause for concern for the Rangers with their bullpen? Uh, absolutely. We've said a number of times that that's clearly their Achilles heel. They're one of the worst bullpens in baseball. Uh, their rotation has been fantastic so far. Uh, Will Smith has been excellent. Uh, to close games, but getting to Will Smith has been a major problem, and I'm sure that I can't imagine that there that any scenario where the Rangers don't add at least one relief pitcher during uh, before the trade deadline. The good news for Texas is they reportedly have a well-stocked farm system, and they uh, should be able to, much like Baltimore and Arizona. All three of those teams have very well-stocked farm systems and need some pitching help. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be fighting for the same pitching help as far as you know, starters in the case of Arizona and Baltimore or uh, relief pitchers as far as Arizona and Texas. Uh, Baltimore's got plenty of relief, even though they might be using these guys a little too often out of necessity. But uh, it's going to be a free-for-all once again. Part of the problem is we don't really know who are going to, what teams are going to be selling because there's, especially in the National League or in you know, AL Central, NL Central, 
Uh, you got 10 teams that aren't very good. None of them are any good, uh, quite frankly. Uh, what are they going to do? And the team, you know, the team that thinks that St. Louis is last, and they're talking like they might not sell. Um, so it's I have no idea. I've never been more confused about a trade deadline. You know, we're literally like a month away. I mean, the trade deadline's August the 1st, and we're sitting here on June the 27th, and we got no idea what's going to happen. You know, I, I guess to that point, so the expanded playoffs, uh, obviously you get another team in, into the playoffs, so it's going to do a lot of things for, for postseason baseball, make some excitement there with the wild card games, uh, extend the playoff window, etc. But does it also really change here now this trade deadline in terms of, you know, how many teams are going to be buyers or sellers and then also the market of availability? If everyone's really vying in for just one or two guys, is that really ratchet up uh, what kind of movement we could see at the trade deadline. So creating some more buzz and interest before August 1st. I think it really puts the pressure on general managers for, you know, like I mentioned, Arizona with Mike Hazen, you know, Baltimore. Uh, they've got several people that are kind of in charge of their situation in Texas. Uh, you know, what do they do? How many, you know, do they give up their top prospects? to get the top-line pitchers in the trade market. Uh, the other thing it does, especially in the National League, is you know, there's going to be a team or two, at least one team. It, uh, there's going to be a you – know, whoever wins the Central Division, at least as of right now, in either league, those teams aren't really even worthy of being in the playoffs. But by rule, somebody has to make the postseason – and you know, that's not gonna. I don't think it's gonna make the playoffs any better. In fact, uh, in this case, I think uh, you know, maybe just kind of the wild card round might be kind of just a waste of time, uh, at least in my opinion. The love. Let's put it this way: I think it's because of the each central division is so bad, and the National League is not very good. Com combine those things that I think it's almost a guarantee that the wild card round is not going to be a particularly high level of baseball. Remember the teams with the top, you know, the top two records, they have a bye, so they're not even playing. Uh, so you know, the level of play is just going to be, which usually is tremendous in the baseball postseason. I think it's better than any other professional sport, quite frankly, as far as level of play in the playoff series, uh, playoff round or the entire playoffs itself. I'm not looking forward to the wild card round of this year's playoffs because I think it's got a chance to be just not not very entertaining or high level baseball for sure. You know, you talked about the pressure on general managers and just focusing in on Mike Hazen and the Diamondbacks. So with the way that the Diamondbacks have been leading the NL West, uh, the fact does that change, I guess, the pressure here? But should it change the pressure and the timeline of where we think the Diamondbacks are at? I kind of asked this with, to Matt Schneider from CBSSports.com in the last hour. What should the Diamondbacks do? And we got to Baltimore and – I uh, don't think we got to Texas, but we got to Baltimore about the same type of thing because uh, the Reds in Baltimore actually begin a series tonight in Baltimore. And there's a lot of similarities between the Reds and Baltimore. Both of them are going to need pitchers. Uh, both of them are going to need starting pitchers. They both have tremendous young prospects, much like the Diamondbacks. However, you know, I think the Reds in Baltimore actually have more prospects in the minor leagues, still in the minor leagues, 
that are excelling. Some of the top Diamondbacks prospects, position player-wise, have not exactly played as well as it was expected these guys would play. So I don't think their value is as high as it could have been. So it's going to be I, – I don't think, quite frankly, and I've, you know, people have, you know, I'm sure frowned upon my comment here, but I don't think the Diamondbacks can win the division uh, this year if this starting pitching is not fixed and upgraded. I don't think they can just depend on two guys and actually make the postseason. Uh, sticking with some of the games from over the weekend here, the Reds won one game over the Braves, 11-10, to 10, as Ely De La Cruz hit for the cycle. Joey Votto hit the tying and go-ahead home runs. Let's stop for a second, though. How much fun is Ely De La Cruz been? After Friday, he had 23 hits, 8 steals, and a batting average of three fifty nine in his first 19 days up in the majors. Yeah, and he did all that. He's like one for 17 with like 10 strikeouts hitting right-handed. He's a switch hitter. And uh, yeah, so he's been unbelievable when he's hitting left-handed. I just wish that the Reds would leave these guys at the same position every day. They've got these prospects, and they play, you know, Cruz, you know De La Cruz has played shortstop and third base. They had, they had three different right fielders in three games over the weekend, and they had right field issues in all three games. Just play them in the same spot, and they might actually improve with those spots. Just pick a position and have them play there. Uh, then they go on to lose games two and three of the series, both by the score seven to six. Uh, you know, we gave some props there to Ely De La Cruz. I don't want to shortchange him. Ronald Acuna Jr. for the Braves. How special has he been this year? He's been good. I'll tell you who's the best player in the Reds, though. The best baseball player of the young players is Matt McLean, who should be playing shortstop every day. But because of De La Cruz, he's been playing second base some days, shortstop other days. But he is a he understands how to play baseball. These other Reds youngsters have no clue. The reason that they lost, you know, they've lost, they played six games against Atlanta this year. They've all been one-run games. The Reds have won one of them, and they were actually really lucky to win on Friday night. Quite frankly, that's a game that they were actually, you know, they trailed 5-0 after half an inning. Uh, but the Reds' lack of attention to detail. And the Braves, who have many young players themselves, but they know how to play baseball. That is the difference between, you know, those two teams right now. Now, neither of them have a particularly good starting rotation at the moment because the Reds just don't have very many guys, win healthy, that are very good. The Braves, obviously, with Kyle Wright, who won 20 games last year, and Max Fried, who's their ace, uh, they have started maybe between the two of them, six or seven games so far this season and likely aren't going to be pitching again until after the all-star break at the earliest. You know, we've certainly seen a lot of divisions uh, be subpar this year. Uh, we've seen collective team performances have some struggles. We've seen pitching injuries really start to shake out as a lot of the leading headlines. But how about some individual star performances like an Ely De La Cruz or a Ronald Acuna Jr.? Just kind of are we seeing a little bit more of like the rising stars and individual elements of this team game kind of showcase themselves this Major League Baseball? season okay i think there needs to be a complete separation here between 
you know, know, between Acuna, who's, you know, tremendous. I mean, he's, and he's been a good player for multiple seasons. Uh, Ellie David Clues has played 15, what is it, 15, 16 games. I've heard him compared to Mickey Mantle earlier uh, over the weekend. Joey Votto even made that comparison. This is just absurd. That's, it's an insult to Mantle and the fans of Mantle and your family of Mantle. It's just stupid, and it's unfair to De La Cruz, quite frankly, and it drives me nuts uh, when I hear stuff like that. Uh, we'll take your calls, 602-260-1060. If you'd like to chime in, we'll get into some some Diamondbacks, Major League Baseball. If you'd like to talk about the Suns from over the weekend as well, we can certainly dive into that. Also, saw this from Eric Edholm, friend of the program from NFL Media. He put together five NFL offseason storylines that are overblown and three that deserve more attention. So we'll dive into those five uh, overblown and three that need more attention on the other side of the break. But feel free to chime in if you'd like to. 602-260-1060 is the number. It is the extra point right here on this Monday, June 26th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Listener rewards for you with the KDUS 1060 app. Download today to hear all of the national and local shows you love. That's the KDUS 1060 app. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports through the month of June, so that's just a few more days away, uh, a $100 gift certificate uh, from Superbook Sports could be yours. Download the KDOS 1060 app, register, and follow along with the directions for how you can become eligible to potentially win that $100. As I mentioned, Eric Edholm of NFL Media put together five NFL offseason storylines that are overblown and three that deserve more attention. So I thought we could go through those here. Uh, Number one for him on the overblown list of things is the quarter back battles. Eric says that most are either settled already or not all that buzzworthy to begin with. And I kind of have to agree with him here because you have Bryce Young. If he does sit, he won't be sitting for long or at all with the Carolina Panthers. CJ Stroud is likely going to get some early playing time in Houston. Anthony Richardson has to beat out Gardner Minshew, but uh, Eric points out, does it really matter if he beats him out in week one or week five? He then also points out Will Levis could be a story, but he fell to the second round and you've had all the reports of some of the struggles that he's had Uh, so far in camps then for the non-rookie battles Sam Howell versus Jacoby Brissett in Washington I don't know if that's doing it for you and Baker Mayfield versus Kyle Trask in Tampa Bay I don't know if that one's doing it for you so the quarterback battles for him is number one on this list of overblown right now I totally agree and I don't you know none of those really have my interest quite frankly 
Um, the one that does is a different one for different reasons is whatever's going on in San Francisco. Um, you know, obviously Brock Purdy's hurt coming off the injury. Trey Lance is either just not any good or, you know, remember he's been hurt twice now in two years. Uh, and then you've got the, you know, the Sam Darnold factor. And some believe actually that, you know, that Kyle Shanahan likes him better than the other two guys. Uh, so that's the one that actually I think matters the most because San Francisco is going to be a good team. Uh, he actually has the quarterback situation for the 49ers as number four on his NFL offseason storylines that are overblown. And for him, it's more of the overblown nature that does it matter who the quarterback is just because of the strength that this 49ers roster has and how they've really just been able to plug someone in and do they need to have consistent elite play for this 49ers team to be successful? Yeah, I understand his point for sure. Uh, but I do think that you're going to have to get competent quarterback play from whomever uh, to, say, beat the Eagles or whoever you might consider to be the second-best team in the NFC. Okay, uh, number two for him on the overblown storylines is the Mac Jones drama. Uh, Belichick didn't commit to him being the starter. Kraft publicly supported Mac Jones. Jones is receiving most of the starter reps so far, so the uh, zappy mania chatter has settled down for now. Plus, it looks like Jones and Bill O'Brien are working well together. Uh, He just kind of wants all that Mac Jones drama to die down and see where things go. I agree with that. I mean, I have enough, much different opinion of Mac Jones and apparently everybody else on planet Earth because I just don't think he's very good. I think he, uh, he benefited from a tremendous situation in Alabama. I think everybody seems to forget that he absolutely sucked the last few games of his rookie season, which was supposed to be such a wonderful thing. Uh, you know, last year, I don't think anybody would have really done very well considering all the circumstances with the coordinator fiasco and uh, the lack of uh, you know, talent. And some of that talent was actually injured last year too. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, I'm on record. And like I said, I'm probably the only person on planet Earth that thinks that this is even a possibility. I just don't think Mac Jones is ever going to be a, a above-average NFL quarterback. Number three on the list here is Eagles losing both of their coordinators. On paper, according to Ed Holm here, Eagles kept most of the key players uh, on their roster, adding, in fact, four quality picks in the top 66 of this uh, last year's draft. Ed Holm says that, yes, losing both coordinators shouldn't be overlooked, but it shouldn't be overblown, especially when you have quarterback coach, now offensive coordinator Brian Johnson, sliding into that role. It should be seamless, and the defense, with all of the returning players uh, shouldn't miss a beat. Totally agree. Uh, in both cases there. I also think it's probably fair to say that we really don't know, at least I don't, uh, if, if any coordinator, you know, gets, if any coordinator that gets promoted from a position uh, coach to a coordinator Uh, or for that matter, any coordinator that gets promoted to a head coach. I don't think we really know whether it's going to work until after at least one season. 
We already mentioned their number four with the 49ers quarterback situation. Number five on the overblown list is the Cowboys play calling. Ed Holm admits that it's hard to find an offseason where the Cowboys aren't linked to a major storyline. But obviously now with Mike McCarthy calling the shots, everyone's very curious to see how it's going to go and to uh, obviously capitalize on the expectations the Cowboys have. So could this eventually be a bigger story if the Cowboys start to struggle offensively absolutely but it's a little overblown according to ed holm right now agree again uh i will say one thing for sure uh just based on you know i've not like i've done massive research on this and whatever i know about this just kind of stumbled into my lap or my alleged brain is that with mccarthy his comments when basically fired kellen moore uh that you know he just thought that you know I'm paraphrasing to the hilt here, but at least the way I took it is that Moore was more you know, more into becoming a big name to maybe be a head coach somewhere than it was to increase the Cowboys' chances of winning games. And I don't think there's any question, considering McCarthy's past and the Cowboys' current roster, that McCarthy, they're going to run far fewer plays than they did before. It's not going to be like a hurry-up type of thing. And there's no question that that defense, which faded at times during games and during the season last couple of years, uh, is going to be on the field less. And, and that's uh, certainly McCarthy. He has said that, exact, not exactly that, uh, but pretty close to it. So I don't think there's any doubt that if you're in fantasy football leagues or whatever – there's going to be fewer pass attempts from Dak Prescott unless they're just behind every game, which I don't think is going to happen. Should fo- fewer pass attempts be a good thing, though, with some of the increased interceptions that we saw? Uh, that I have no idea. Well, a lot of the increased interceptions as far as we're receiving problems, including C.D. Lamb, who doesn't seem to want to run the pattern correctly about half the time, but he's supposed to be one of the great you know, players of our generation. Okay, so that's the the five that are overblown. Now as we go into the needs more attention category, he starts with number one being Kyler Murray's future. Ed Holm says that he realizes the Cardinals don't draw national attention like other franchises do, but it baffles him that Murray's future isn't more of a story. Murray, according to Ed Holm, has been hot and cold, at times looks like a game-changing talent to just a passable starter. Now you throw in his ACL recovery, which puts a healthy start to the season in doubt his six-year contract could make it hard for him to be uh traded move on from him next year the cardinals have obviously stripped down the roster and are in line for one of the top picks in the 2024 nfl draft whether it's their own pick or the houston texans pick so the question here is could the cardinals make a change at quarterback one year into the monty austin for jonathan gannon regime and would any team take murray's contract that's what I think is the biggest question here. I mean, he's under contract for 2027. Uh, so I can't imagine, unless he has a really good season and the Cardinals want to, you know, sell high, uh, that would be a different situation. But I think he's got to have a really good season first. I think they're stuck with him. Uh, you know, either, you know, main, you know if they could be stuck with him and just bench him, but they still got to eat all this money and, That doesn't seem like that's something that Michael Bidwell wants to do. 
Number two on his list is that the Browns are a sneaky contender, that last year the Browns got so much attention for signing Deshaun Watson. This year they seem to have bounced back into just uh, kind of going back into the background. Watson struggled last year when he did play, so if he can return to play like he did when he was with Houston, the rest of the roster is in pretty good shape. Either way, if Watson struggles or he thrives, according to Edholm, the Browns will be a story. I totally agree with this. And, you know, we, you've talked about uh, this division. Uh, it's going to be pretty entertaining. Uh, pretty sure. You have Baltimore and Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and Cleveland. And you can make a case, depending on what you think of Baltimore, at least I don't think as much of Baltimore than others, but I'm um, seemingly most everybody else seems to think that they're a, a contender because Lamar has a different coordinator. He's got better receivers. And those things are true, but I, think, I just don't think Lamar's going to be an accurate passer ever uh, unless he has a, a Josh Allen type of turnaround. But Josh Allen did that over two or three years, and we've seen enough, at least I have, of Lamar Jackson. His, you know, I don't think anybody throws more inaccurate passes than he does. Uh, but people love him, so they don't point that out. And can he stay healthy? Uh, we'll see. But, yeah, back to Cleveland. Sorry, I went off on there for whole, the rest of the division there. But I'm, I'm very intrigued with the Browns. They have a tremendous offensive line. But, once again, they were one of the offensive lines, one of many, unfortunately, in the NFL last year that had multiple offensive line injuries to key players. I'm assuming that will get better. And uh, Watson, you just figure, is going to get better. That you know He's played – he's got more reps and he's had the whole offseason – and not all this stuff going on. I think they've added a couple of receivers also, so uh, we'll see how this goes. But I think the Browns could actually be really good. I kind of wish they were in a different division, uh, but uh, they're in a division that all four teams – You, no, there's no order of finish in that division, one through four, that would surprise me. I agree with that. I, I think that there's just a lot of uh, intrigue in that AFC North. and I, I Excellent think, word. I wish I would have used that. <laughs> we'll go with that for the word of the day so far. We still have time to come Absolutely. up with something else. Number three, rounding out this list, though, from Eric Edholm with NFL Media, is uh, the quarterback transition in Green Bay. It's a bit surprising that there hasn't been more national chatter on Jordan Love taking over and that this could be the start of more quarterback royalty royalty in Green Bay or if he struggles looking for his replacement after well you gave him all that time to sit there and learn from Aaron Rodgers so there's there's a lot on the line here for Green Bay this year I agree with that part I mean I'm not real sure I think there's a lot of um, just media exhaustion about whoever the quarterback in Green Bay is because uh, it was you know like an everyday story whether it be on the field and whether Rodgers played well or didn't play well or whether he's hurt or wasn't hurt, whether it be the weekly McAfee appearance on whatever show that is, uh, they think that there's just an exhaustion factor. For they're just People are just tired of talking about Green Bay's quarterback situation. I would be one of them. I think it's also going to be an interesting year for Matt LaFleur as well. Because totally agree. it's yeah. now on him, really, to be the offensive coordinator, to grow Jordan Love and some of the younger wide receivers and, and playmakers that are yeah. left on the offense, if you will. 
Totally agree. There yep. looks like there's uh, been a trade in the NBA. We'll get into that here on the other side of the break as we wrap up our number one next. I'll turn those picks into gold. Wall-to-wall NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from 3 to 5 p.m. The Rich Eisen Show here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. We'll have a lightning fast wrap up of hour number one of Extra Point on this Monday, June 26th, right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Heading to break, we are seeing the reports from Adrian Wojnarowski that the Hawks are finalizing a trade to send forward center John Collins to the Jazz for Rudy Gay and a future second round pick. Atlanta's largely unloading Collins's three years, $78 million contract for some roster building flexibility and alignment with the looming changes to the salary cap, according to Woj. This all squares, though, with uh, some reports that we saw last week about how the mandate coming down from the Hawks get it under the salary cap. Yeah, and the best news is we don't have to deal with John Collins' trade rumors anymore. <laughs> this has been literally going on for, what, two, three seasons? I'm not exaggerating here. At least a couple of seasons. I want to say maybe even three. So, uh guy that I loved when he was at Wake Forest, liked him in the NBA, and uh, I'm sure that uh, he'll be a better player in Utah because they have a better organization and they're better coached. I am kind of sad, though, that the John Collins, like, will he or won't he? Like, the John Collins tracker is going to be done since he's off to uh, Utah. There was a John (laughs) Collins tracker? I know that there was, like, a rumor every 10 minutes, so I I don't... I'm not surprised. I'm just glad I don't talk about it anymore. We'll get into more around the NBA in hour number two. I'll also briefly recap uh, the PGA Tour with the Travelers Championship to get things started in hour two as well. It is the Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Hour two is next. (laughs) 